I'm Stuart Varney. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. More U.S. troops are being sent to the Middle East, where groups backed by Iran have been targeting U.S. forces. We are talking about the United States directly fighting against Iranian proxies in the region. That is already starting to happen, and that will happen to a much greater degree. This is a very different war for the Americans than Russia, Ukraine. I'm Chris Foster. Republicans rallied around him. Some Democrats say new House Speaker Mike Johnson's views are too extreme. He knows that his priorities have to be for the broader good of keeping the country running. They're going to have priorities for funding Israel. They're going to have a fight over the supplemental. He's got some heavy lifting in front of him. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. And I'm Nicole Parker. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. 2,000 U.S. troops have been on prepare to deploy orders as the U.S. beefs up resources near Israel after the October 7th Hamas attacks. Now, about 900 of those troops are being deployed to the Middle East. I won't talk specific deployment locations for these forces. I can confirm that they are not going to Israel. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder says this is about regional deterrence and bolstering capabilities to protect U.S. forces, also confirming at least 16 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq and Syria over the past nine days, all blamed on groups backed by Iran. I think we've been crystal clear that we may maintain the inherent right of defending our troops, and we will take all necessary measures to protect our forces and our interests overseas. President Biden has warned Iran to be prepared for a U.S. response, noting that U.S. forces are in Iraq and Syria as part of the fight against ISIS, unrelated to the Israel-Hamas conflict. But during an emergency meeting of the U.N. General Assembly, Iran's foreign minister accused the U.S. of managing a genocide with its support for Israel, warning that if it continues, the United States won't be spared from this fire. There's been a tug of war at the U.N. over Israel's response to the Hamas terror attack. More injustice and more killing will not make Israel safer. Palestinian Foreign Affairs Minister Riyad al-Maliki appealing to the U.N. Security Council to stop what he called an ongoing massacre of Palestinians. Your message was always clear. Nothing can justify killing Israeli civilians. Well, nothing justifies killing Palestinian civilians. Nothing. But Israel's U.N. Ambassador Galad Erdan told Security Council members there's a double standard in the international community. How would Moscow react if terrorist death squads wiped out entire neighborhoods in Moscow? How would Beijing respond to if genocidal jihadists beheaded and murdered your babies. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said Israel is preparing for a ground invasion of Gaza and that they have two goals, to do everything possible to bring hostages home and to destroy Hamas. You know, you're talking about 30 to 40,000 fighters inside Gaza, uh, terrorists. Uh, I think that... Um, the Israelis will be able to destroy that organization. Ian Bremmer is the president and founder of Eurasia Group. But uh, the human depredation that will come as a consequence, uh, the civilian casualties that will necessarily come, especially fighting a group that will do everything they can, Hamas, to maximize those civilian casualties at the hands of the Israelis, um, will lead to much greater radicalization 
will make Gaza even more ungovernable. No one in the region is prepared to take that off of the hands of the Israelis. And will also radicalize others across the region, in particular Palestinians, both in the occupied territories and uh, refugees that do not have right of return. So for all of these reasons, as much as I believe that Israel's desire to invade uh, Gaza is understandable and legitimate, I fear that they're going to end up doing much more damage to their own national security than if they hadn't gone in. Hmm. I mean, Israeli officials have said they're hoping to prevent future attacks by taking out Hamas and sort of ending a cycle of conflict and ceasefire that then allows Hamas time to regroup. But what about the goal of a two-state solution? I mean, is what's happening now and the potential ramifications, does this eliminate any serious hope? of a two-state solution? We're farther from a two-state solution today, certainly, than we were before Hamas launched their terrorist attacks. But Kissinger said that you only get to peace when both sides are exhausted. And I do think looking forward that um, we can see a time when that will be possible what a peace will look like and whether it can be a two-state solution, that's a very different question. Uh, I mean, I, I can see an environment where Netanyahu is forced out. You know, the vast majority of the Israeli people blame him for the October 7th attacks. He was the one asleep at the switch. National security, border security, intelligence failed under his watch. So if you get rid of Netanyahu, which seems reasonably likely, and the, eventually the Israelis withdraw, I could certainly see a new Israeli government wanting to engage with the Palestinian Authority and some kind of new government in Gaza to create peace. I also believe that the level of radicalization we are going to see from all of the deaths, all of the destruction of the Palestinian civilians and also of all of the Israelis. I mean, we don't know how many of the hostages are going to end up getting killed. I mean, if you do a ground invasion, you're probably talking about thousands of Israeli defense forces getting killed as well. I mean, that's going to have a big effect on the Israeli population. And um, these two sides are, are likely to be very, very far apart from any solution when the war is over. Is the idea of eliminating Hamas even truly attainable as long as all the other terror groups exist. And in parallel with that, even if there's a desire going forward for peace between the Israeli and Palestinians, what about Iran? Is Iran and its proxy groups going to let that happen? Okay, those are two very different questions, just to be clear. Um, the former question I can answer through an American lens of 9-11. The focus on al-Qaeda was appropriate. Bin Laden was killed. His Confederates were killed um, and jailed. Uh, you could blow up al-Qaeda, but as we've seen, there are still plenty of terrorist organizations that are operating uh, out of Iraq and out of Afghanistan. And there are all sorts of people uh, that want to target the United States as a consequence. Uh, so, I mean, the, the more the eggs you break uh, in your war, 
the greater uh, the mop up damage that you're going to live with for decades. And when President Biden said that Netanyahu and the Israeli government needed to learn the lessons from 9-11, that's really what he's talking about. So I think you can destroy Hamas, but there will be a new organization, organizations uh, that will lead to more radicalism in the region. Now, Iran is a very different story. Um, the Iranians, to the best of our knowledge, and this is accepted by Israel, were not involved in orchestrating the October 7th attacks. But the Iranians have been involved with Hamas for a very long time. They've been training, they've been funding, they've been providing military equipment. So they are clearly complicit. And you know, you haven't asked me about Russia, Ukraine, but there's a very big difference here with Russia, Ukraine. When the Russians invaded Ukraine, everyone in the United States wanted to avoid getting the Americans involved in the fight. And they've been quite successful in avoiding direct U.S. involvement in the fight for 20 months now. The Americans are already directly involved in this war. There are already American servicemen and women that have been injured from attacks emanating from this war, uh, on U.S. base in Syria. And that is going to expand significantly. So we're not talking about war with Iran, but we are talking about the United States directly fighting against Iranian proxies in the region. That is already starting to happen, and that will happen to a much greater degree. This is a very different war for the Americans than Russia-Ukraine. When does escalation sort of become a next level and response um i think within days to maybe weeks um the israelis have really made the decision already to invade and the americans don't believe they can stop them they've delayed it and there have been several different avenues of that delay one which is most important for the u.s is ensuring the americans have greater capacity to defend their troops on the ground in the region before the Israelis go in. And the Israelis certainly find that a compelling argument. There's also the 220 some hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza in underground tunnels, some of whom are American, many of whom are likely already dead, but still more will be freed if the Israelis uh, delay their ground war. And then finally, there's the ability to get more humanitarian support on the ground in the south of Gaza. And, and that's important too. But none of those things are going to prevent a ground war from occurring. Again, I, I believe it's a really bad idea. The vast majority of governments around the world, including the vast majority of democracies, believe a ground war is a very bad idea, but I'm completely convinced it's going to happen. There is disagreement on the world stage, largely between Western nations and Arab world nations, you know, supporting either Israel or the Palestinian cause. As calls for ceasefires or humanitarian pauses grow, what countries could effectively help negotiate that? Well, the United States is going to be the most important country in helping to negotiate because the U.S. is the one seriously trusted ally of Israel. They provide $3 billion of largely military aid to Israel every year, and they have influence over the country. Um, but that influence 
especially in response to the worst violence perpetrated against Jews since the Holocaust, is limited. These are people that are dealing with a level, a deep level of trauma that they have not yet understood um, or worked through. Um, and a lot of them are like, we have to do something. We have to retaliate. It's emotional. It's not strategic. And I think that as much as you want to talk about who can facilitate negotiations right now, no one can really facilitate negotiations with that. That is that's the constraint. That's the reality. When it comes to the hostages, Qatar has been or did help at least um, to facilitate a few releases why? How did they emerge as an intermediary? They're they're believed to have a, a political office of Hamas in Doha, right? That's right. It's similar to how they helped uh, get Americans out of Afghanistan after the U.S. evacuation. And you'll remember a lot of them ended up um, at the U.S. base uh, in Qatar following that. So Qatar has played this role as kind of the most independent, most neutral of the GCC countries and working with, engaging with everyone. Um, and and you're right, uh, only four have been released so far, but, but certainly uh, there is very active diplomacy that the Israelis have been involved in, um, though at arm's length, uh, in, in securing the release of more. Just quickly here at the end, do you have any words of hope or reassurance for anyone, especially in the U.S., who's really concerned about the overall world picture at the moment? Um, it's that the average Jew in Israel and the average Palestinian in the occupied territories does not support what is happening right now. And, and even though the average Jew supports a, a ground campaign, they want it to be a small and short ground campaign, not a long-term occupation. They don't want to kick the Palestinians off of their land. The average Palestinian does not support what Hamas is doing. So we need to remember that as hot and divisive and inhuman as the politics are, and as much as we all condemn the terrorism that we saw on October 7th, this does not reflect the reality of the people on the ground. And in the United States, when it's so easy, especially on social media, to say that you're on Team Israel or Team Palestine, the vast majority of these people are not supporting removing Palestinians from their land and are not supporting Hamas. That is a feature of algorithms on social media that's a feature of headline writers that are trying to get people to click. That is not a feature of what's actually happening on the ground. Ian Bremer, president of Eurasia Group, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. This is Nicole Parker with your Fox News commentary coming up. The second full day of Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson's tenure as Speaker of the House. There's optimism from Republicans like New York Congressman Mike Lawler and Nick Langworthy. Mike Johnson is someone who can unify the conference. Uh, he is unfailingly kind. He's smart. He's principled. 
uh, and he's somebody that I think will be able to bring both sides of the conference together to govern. This has been a long ordeal, but I think we finally have uh, the right leader. And, and I think that the time chose the leader more than the leader choosing his time here. Uh, he, he, he united our conference. Lawler on Fox and Friends Langworthy there on mornings with Maria on Fox Business. So now, after more than three weeks of Republican infighting, starting with Kevin McCarthy being voted out as speaker and the first three nominees to replace him dropping out due to lack of support, Johnson's the guy, someone who didn't even put himself out there as a candidate until later in the process. But in this contentious speaker fight, that may have been just the thing you needed, a guy that's sort of under the radar. Fox News Sunday and Live in the Bream podcast host, Shannon Bream. A little bit unfamiliar, but whatever speeches and, you know, um, rallying he gave to the troops before they went out there and got to the floor, they were united. So he's definitely to the further right of the caucus. But I think he gets that in this moment, it's got to be about unity and not, you know, super far right priorities. They've got to keep the country running because we're about to run out of money again. Um, I mean, whatever his beliefs are, he's very strongly anti-abortion. He's expressed some anti-gay views in the past, at least. I don't know what his thinking is now on that. Um, he was, of course, very much behind the effort to flip the election President Trump. Now, those are positives for a lot of Republicans, but maybe not with a lot of swing voters and Democrats are going to use that if it even if this all mm-hmm. even matters, um, however many months from now. Yeah, we'll see how long he sticks around. Um, Democrats are already talking about fundraising off of his record. They call extreme. And, you know, for those members who are in these swing districts, I think there are about 18 of them, um, House Republicans, that those districts overall in the presidential race went for Biden. I mean, that's going to be something that they have to navigate very carefully. But listen, he's the speaker. He's one guy. I think, um, as I said, he knows that his priorities have to be for the broader good of keeping the country running. They're going to have priorities for funding Israel. They're going to have a fight over the supplemental. He's got some heavy lifting in front of him. Yeah. And if Kevin McCarthy couldn't, for example, get the budget stuff over the line, how can Mike Johnson, especially if he's not expected to budge or negotiate with Democrats? Yeah. And they're going to have to press and see if there's any place that they can find common ground. There's talk now of a continuing resolution. Would it go through sort of January 15th or April 15th? Those are kind of some dates that have been floated. But when I saw April 15th, I thought, well, gosh, you're halfway, you're more than halfway through the year of your fiscal year at that point. At some point, these guys and gals have to figure out how to get back to regular order and appropriations bills and funding things for a year at a time. So um, there's always going to be something, no, no matter how far you kick the can down the road. Does Johnson's inexperience in Congress, in, in, in leadership, really, does it really matter or can it be sort of a self-regulating body? Do you need somebody to be cracking the whip at the top? Well, the funny thing is, you know, the wonkies immediately go to the stuff like, OK, the speaker has to raise a ton of money. Kevin McCarthy was great at raising money. Um, Johnson is not a proven fundraiser. So they're thinking about things more broadly for the caucus. You got to get out there. You got to make the money. You got to help with all of these House races. They're, the speaker has to do all of that along with trying to govern as well. So the fact that he hasn't been a committee chair, that he hasn't held leadership positions before, just makes him a kind of an unknown slate at how he will manage all of these different things he's got to do. Shannon, the Israeli military this week took a pretty extraordinary step. They released, not to the public, but to, they showed to reporters who weren't allowed to record it, but they could report about it, obviously. They released this per, first-person video, like 45 minutes worth, of Israelis dying um, of the Hamas terrorist mm-hmm. atrocities on October 7th to basically say, look, this happened. This is what we're fighting. This journalist, don't take your eyes off that. Mm-hmm. And I think, gosh, because Israel has this, you know, decades-long fight with Holocaust deniers, millions of lives lost and people want to act like it didn't happen or it was all propaganda. I think that very much factored into their decision to do this because from people who have reported out from what they saw, 
it's almost beyond description. Um, and, and I think that as tough as it probably was to put that out there and to know the suffering that it will cause people and their families to know that this is out there, and this footage exists, given the denial about the atrocities they faced in the past, I think it was a very bold move saying we want people to see the realities of this. Innocent people end up getting killed. And this is just the absolute worst of humanity. But even just reading the descriptions was almost more than most of us as human beings could take. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't I did not see the video and would not like to see the video. But even just hearing mm-hmm. hearing some of our colleagues descriptions of it um, is is going to stick with me for a while. But now it's primarily Palestinians dying in airstrikes mm-hmm. and probably more to come if, if there's not humanitarian aid. And like President Biden says, look, civilians are going to die. And we have to take these numbers with a grain of salt. Of course, the Gaza Health Ministry is, mm-hmm. run, is run by the very terrorists who Israel's fighting. But the fact remains, there are, there are plenty of very credible mm-hmm. firsthand reports of a lot of women and children and just people who are stuck in Gaza being killed. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. That is a legitimate thing that's happening. And I do think um, that people with hearts are also feeling devastated for that. Nobody wants to see innocent civilians, children, women. People are not engaged in fighting ever to lose their lives in these conflicts. But we knew, unfortunately, it was inevitable once Israel vowed that they were going to go in there and do what they had to do in their estimation to root Hamas out of Gaza. Again, acknowledging that there are plenty of people in the Gaza Strip who want nothing to do with Hamas. Hamas has made their lives measurably worse, has used them as human shields. You know, Israel says we did everything we could to try to evacuate people and warn them away from areas that we knew that we were going to attack. They're trying to be transparent, it appears, you know, by showing exactly where they're targeting, by showing where they believe Hamas is setting up, you know, rocket launchers and these kinds of things around schools, around hospitals. I mean, it's just ugly and despicable. And there are lives being lost all over the place. And as human beings, and, you know, I'm somebody who believes everybody is created in God's image, regardless of their geography or their beliefs or anything else, um, we should want a minimization of you know, in any way possible. And and war, like the president said, is just a horrible, despicable, ugly thing that sometimes is necessary. We have these Trump co-defendants flipping in Georgia, um, Mm -hmm. reports of his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, cooperating and saying, look, we told him the election wasn't stolen. This can't be good for the former president or anybody else who keeps fighting these charges in Georgia. Yeah, now that there are talks that there are more people that are um, talking about plea deals there in Georgia. And and yeah, the news that came out yesterday that Mark Meadows apparently has reached some kind of level of immunity on the federal case with Jack Smith. Now, an attorney for him came out and said some of the reporting on that was inaccurate. It wasn't right. Um, but they also have been reporting that Mark Meadows said apparently the report is that he never heard the president acknowledged outright that he had lost, meaning that he would have known he was proceeding, having known that he actually lost. So There's a lot of interesting testimony we're going to get light of in these federal and state cases. And it is now coming, you know, one after the other. I mean, the president, uh, former president, again, charged for violating a gag order in the New York state case that's going on. I mean, this is where all of the, the tough talk and the bump in the polls and the fundraising that he's gotten from these indictments is really going to come into reality for him because he's going to be stuck in courtrooms. He's going to be getting fined over these gag orders. He's going to be facing more trouble. I mean, the judge in New York last week asked why President Trump shouldn't be thrown in jail over the violation of the gag order. He was so angry with the first time he fined him $5,000. So this, along with running for president, is going to be his reality probably for you know several months that he is going to be in and out of courtrooms where I'm sure he'd much rather be on the campaign trail. But 
He doesn't miss the opportunity to come out between breaks and after court each day to speak his mind. And for those who have rallied to his cause, I can't imagine that they will peel away because, you know, the argument is uh, they're coming after me to get to you. And that's been very effective for him on the campaign trail. DNC has come out firmly. Look, we are team Biden-Harris, ride or die. Um, Mm -hmm. Polls show not a lot of Democrats even agree with that. Tomorrow, speaking of uh, members of Congress that most people probably have not heard of, no offense to Dean Phillips, Minnesota Democrat Dean Phillips is expected (laughs) to say that that he's running for president. He's going to get himself on the ballot in New Hampshire. He's been in Congress since all of 2019. He's also a millionaire. Mm -hmm. He's also a millionaire businessman. He made a lot of money, among other things, selling uh, Talenti gelato, which is delicious. Um, mm. uh, um, what's the, what's the play here? Is this just a guy who, uh, why? I mean, he's been, he's been talking about this for months and that is the question. Why? And he keeps saying, you know, I think voters need another option, not feeling a good about, uh, about Biden worries about, um, his age and financial issues. I think the New Hampshire thing is very interesting because again, we're hearing word that president Biden is not going to be on the primary ballot in New Hampshire. You know, there are all kinds of fights over the timing of the early States and what's going to happen. So But Dean Phillips actually gets on that ballot. If he or RFK or somebody else ends up scoring a win in an early state, it's really just a psychological win because they're not going to be on every other ballot out there. But it's not a good look for the sitting president to lose one of those early states, which is almost guaranteed to happen in New Hampshire, although people could certainly write in his name. But what is Dean Phillips after? Does he think at some point that President Biden will bow out, that there will be something that will cause him to say, I'm not going to go through with this race. And Dean Phillips wants to be there as kind of the safety net. I don't know. You've also got Gavin Newsom over, you know, hanging out with President Xi in China, going to the border, doing all these things that look like somebody that would be running for president, although he says, I'm absolutely not running. And I absolutely 100 percent support President Biden. I mean, it seems like there are a lot of people out there who want to be in place to be an alternative should that become necessary. Yeah. And again, in New Hampshire, if, with with President Biden not on the ballot, and he will get some write-ins. He may even mm-hmm. win the state with write-ins. Who knows? But somebody sure. is going to get to be on the news. Their name is going to be on the news right. for days and days afterwards. I won New Hampshire. Or I did well in New Hampshire, notwithstanding the fact that the sitting president is not on the ballot. <laughs> right. But I think the optics of that could be very powerful because most people are not as wonky and into this as we are, that we know President Biden's name is not going to be on that ballot. What they're going to see is you're exactly right. The headlines, so-and-so, you know, RFK Jr. or Representative Phillips or whoever scores a win on one of the early primary ballots um, in the Democrat primary. So there will be mileage to come from that that is going to make people who aren't really tuned in say, wait a minute, what? The sitting president lost one of the first primaries or caucuses. Um, I I think that there will be um, an optics situation there that's not going to be fun for the White House until people, you know, kind of figure out exactly what's going on. Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday. Shannon, thanks. Always appreciate it. Have a great weekend. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. William Wallace needed a kidney, and his wife, Johanna Holt, wanted to give him one of hers. Problem was, she wasn't a match. So in August, the Charleston Area Medical Center in West Virginia did something that had never before been done in the state's history. A living donor chain of kidney transplants for three people. Here's how it worked. Because Holt's kidney was incompatible with her husband's blood type and other factors, her kidney was instead transplanted into another person who was a willing donor but wasn't suitable. 
To keep the chain going, that donor gave a kidney to an unknown patient. Holt's surgery was completed on August 22nd. She donated to Alice Henson. Henson's willing donor, Jessica Henson, donated to Catrice Jacobs the following day. Jacobs' willing donor, John Jacobs, donated to Holt's husband, William Wallace, on August 24th. While Holt didn't get to meet her recipient, the couple did get to meet Wallace's donor. Wallace says he's feeling great now, adding, quote, everything just came into place. The Charleston Area Medical Center has performed nearly 1,800 kidney transplants in Charleston over 35 years, including 94 so far in 2023. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Nicole Parker. What's on your mind? And here we are, unfortunately, another mass shooting in the United States of America. Having been an FBI special agent, I've responded to mass shootings in my career, and each one, it never gets easier. There are victims of these shootings, obviously those that are deceased, and it's absolutely heartbreaking and tragic. Their family members are left to pick up the pieces of lives that will never be lived out. It's a very complex situation working with the victims and specifically notifying families that their loved one is never coming home. Aside from those that are deceased, law enforcement also encounters those that were injured, those that were witnesses to the the shootings. And that takes a drastic toll on individuals as well. In light of this mass shooting that occurred in Maine, it is once again a reminder of how important it is that we in America and the law enforcement community address those that have been witnesses of these awful violent crimes. In this particular instance, there have been press conferences and resources that have been offered to those that have witnessed this at a bowling alley where there were young youth, children, minors, those under the age of 18. This is absolutely devastating. And aside from that, adults are also negatively impacted by these things. And we cannot forget the impact that it has on law enforcement, having to report to a crime scene, the carnage, The death, the evil that is witnessed cannot be underestimated. And it's so important that we don't forget how important mental health is for those that are victims who have lost their family members. And again, for those that have equally survived, but have equal amounts of distress as they carry on in their lives. Americans need to be aware. We want to hope that our communities are safe. It is a joint effort, all hands on deck. But as we're seeing, even the most quiet and safe towns can become the victims of violent crime and of mass shootings. It is important to always be aware. And if you ever find yourself in the most tragic situation of being involved in a mass shooting, never forget, run, hide, and fight. I'm Nicole Parker, former FBI special agent. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.